The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Awesome. Well, we are in the uh, fourth and final week of a series we've been in uh, on the book of Jonah. Uh, and as we've gone through the book of Jonah, we, we've called it Facing Leviathan. And I just quick reminder, the reason we've done that is because uh, in the ancient world, sort of the, the symbol for, for chaos in the world was this deep sea creature called Leviathan. And so we've kind of recognized over the last few weeks that we live in pretty chaotic times, right? Without being alarmist, we can just kind of say that, whether it's internationally or nationally or even in our own lives, we live in pretty chaotic times. And so we've been asking the question as we've gone through the book of Jonah, how do we face Leviathan well? How do we do that well? And what we've seen in the book of Jonah the last three weeks are this. We face Leviathan well when we are secure in the cross, and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We face Leviathan well when we're aided in prayer. And last week we talked about we face Leviathan well when we're obedient to God. But today we're going to see kind of that final piece of the puzzle, that we face Leviathan well when we're sent on mission. So we're secure in Jesus' work for us on the cross. We're aided by prayer. We're obedient to the will of the Father. And finally, we're sent on mission. But what's interesting, I don't know if you noticed this uh, when, I, when we read through the text earlier, uh, but, but Jonah's not on mission in chapter 4 of Jonah, right? In fact, he's, he's against the mission of God. He's, he's arguing against the mission of God. And so what we're going to see actually is, is two common arguments that we have against joining God on his mission. And then we're going to see uh, that God's heart wins. And so that's kind of a little three-point outline. We're going to see uh, two arguments, that, that, and these are our two arguments, that's cynicism and comfort. So we're going to see our argument from cynicism and our argument from comfort exposed and we're going to see that God's heart wins. All right, so, so let's get going. Uh, as we get into the story, let's do a quick review so we're all on the same page here. Story of Jonah. Jonah's a prophet. God calls him, says, hey, I want you to go to this city of Nineveh. Uh, tell them that they need to repent or else trouble's coming. Jonah says, I don't want to do that. And he goes the exact opposite way of Nineveh, gets on a ship to, to try and run away from God. You can't run away from God. Just Filling you in. Helpful tips here. And, uh, and so, so you can't do it. So God sends a storm that ultimately leads to Jonah getting thrown into an ocean, swallowed by a big fish. He spends a few days in there, as one does, uh, and then is, is vomited onto dry land. God's word comes to him again and says, hey, go to Nineveh. This time, Jonah wises up, right? Goes to Nineveh, tells him, all right, you got to repent you got to turn from your evil ways or God's going to send calamity. And last week we saw that the entire city of Nineveh repents and that God forgives them and his grace rests on that city. Now, if this were Hollywood, it's over, man. Roll the credits. That's the end of the film. We're good, right? But the Bible isn't Hollywood. And so this is what happens. Look with me at verses 1 to 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, how crazy is this, right? Jonah preaches his message. It works. People are forgiven. God's judgment doesn't fall on the city. And Jonah's reaction is he's ticked, right? He's, he's mad about it. 
And then he explains to God, as if God needed to know, that the whole reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place was not because he was afraid of his enemies, but because he knew that God would forgive them. See, Jonah's mad at God's grace for other people. Right? He's, he's critical of how God is operating in the world. He's sitting in the spot of the cynic over and against the will of God. It's being cynical. His cynicism is being exposed. Now, a quick word uh, on being cynical. Uh, if you've been here a while, you may have noticed that I have a tendency towards being cynical. Uh, it just happens. Sorry. I call it being realistic. All right? But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, for example, this, this last week, uh, I got to, to go to a, a conference that was here in Austin, and it was, it was live-streamed from a, a church in Chicago to a church here in Austin. And it's this really big conference. There's actually close to about half a million people around the world uh, that attend to it in various satellite locations. And so being that sort of big of a conference, a leadership conference, uh, they, they try to get the best names they can. And so I got to hear from uh, Melinda Gates from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I got to hear from the, the former CEO of Ford and Boeing. I got to hear from uh, the head pastor of this mega church in Chicago that puts this whole thing on. And, and that's all well and good, right? Those people got to where they are because they're good leaders, and that's cool, and there's a lot I can and did learn from them. But I'm just going to say, like, when people that are operating at that level are trying to relate to, like, me, I, I can't help but get a little cynical, right? So, so, like, for example, one of the speakers was like, guys, it's just, it's so important that, you know, you just find balance in your life as a leader. It's like, I was having a hard time with that, and so uh, my family rented a private island for me and sent me there. I was like, oh, yeah, because that's going to happen, you know? Like, it's like... <laughs> And, and, then, and then another one was this, this uh, pastor up front, and he talked about, hey, you gotta, you got to inspire generosity in your people. And he talked about how he gave this little talk about inspiring generosity in his church, and this lady who'd just been going to his church for a couple weeks came up to him and gave him a six-figure check unsolicited. And I'm just like, okay, well, good for you, buddy. Like, I don't see that happening here, right? And actually, uh, as, as soon as, as he said that, I got a text from one of our elders who was there, who shall remain nameless, uh, and, uh, and he said, Gabe, I hope you took notes from this guy's giving speech. Man, Axe could build the Leander Dome with those words. <laughs> now, as much as I love the idea of the Leander Dome, uh, I'm, I'm somehow doubting that no matter how magical my words get up here, that that's ever going to happen, right? Uh, and so maybe I'm just justifying my behavior, uh, but, but there can be a healthy cynicism, all right? But what we see in Jonah is not a healthy cynicism. It's a posture in his heart that is critical of God and his work in the world. Like, I don't know if you guys caught it in verse 3. Like, Jonah's so ticked at how God is doing things that he says, God, just kill me. Just let me die. I'd rather see that than see how your plans are going to play out. Now, why is Jonah so critical of God's plan? Because he hates Nineveh. We talked about this the first week, but Nineveh is part of the Assyrian Empire, very violent people that had their sights sent on Jonah's people, the Israelites, that they were going to destroy them and conquer them. And so when God forgives them, when God doesn't rain down judgment on them, Jonah's ticked. And so Jonah's critique of God is fueled by being overly nationalistic and frankly kind of racist. And so that's what's going on in his heart. He's saying, God, those are the bad guys. Those are the enemy. You're supposed to get them over there. Here's the good news. Is God does get his enemies. 
God gets his enemies. You know how he does it? Turns them into his friends. Turns them into his friends. That's how God gets his enemies. What we see happen is because Jonah's so cynical of how God is operating in the world, Jonah sits out of God's mission. Look with me at verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. All right, now there's just one verse here, but there's actually a ton in this tiny little verse, okay? So, so first of all, the text says that Jonah sits east of the city. Now, this idea of being east of something uh, is a really big deal in the Old Testament, really big deal in the Old Testament. Uh, so in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, uh, we see that, that God creates the world, and he says that it's good, and, and God creates specifically uh, the, the Garden of Eden that's supposed to be this, this beautiful paradise where his shalom, his peace, his way of doing things in the world just kind of rests, and, and humanity lives there, Adam and Eve are there, and everything's just going super great in God's order and in God's shalom. But what happens in the biblical narrative is in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fall into sin. And when they do, God gives them the boot out of the garden. And it says that they exited through the east of Eden. And then just one chapter later, Adam and Eve have a couple boys, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. God's like, you can't hang out with your family anymore if you're going to be killing people. And so, so he gets the boot from his family. And it says in Genesis 4 that Cain and his wife settled east of Eden. And so those two little narratives that the book of Genesis set up this entire biblical theme of being east of Eden. John Steinbeck wrote a book about it, okay? They set up this whole biblical theme of being east of Eden. The idea is that whenever you're outside of God's way of doing things, whenever you're outside of Shalom, you're east of Eden. That's what this text is telling us, is that Jonah is east of the city. He's opting out of God's way of doing things. He's east of Eden. He's choosing to live outside of God's shalom. He's choosing to live outside of God's peace. On top of that, it says in verse 5 that he built a booth there. Another way to translate that would be shelter. And uh, the Hebrew word for that is sakah. Sakah, and it's, it's actually a, a specific sort of shelter that had religious significance uh, for the ancient Hebrew people. Uh, it was used during the Jewish festival of Sukkoth, uh, which was a festival that God commanded his people to take part in in Leviticus. Uh, and really what it was is, is uh, the, the nation of Israel, they'd go out in the wilderness and they'd camp out for like seven days, right? Everyone talks about, oh, the Old Testament rules are so oppressive. God's like, mandatory camping trip. I'm in, right? Not bad. So, so, so they go out and they, they set up these Sukkah, these temporary shelters, uh, and they did that to remind themselves how God had delivered them from slavery and led them in the wilderness for 40 years. And so what Jonah's doing with this shelter is he's critiquing God. He's saying, hey, buddy, you made my people wander in the wilderness for 40 years before we got to taste the blessing of our homeland. But the wicked Ninevites, they just had to repent for 40 days and you put their blessing on them saying, come on, bro, that's not fair. It's not right. And so Jonah is sitting outside of God's mission. He's east of Eden in protest because he doesn't like the way that God does things. For some of you, you're sitting out of God's mission in protest because you don't like how he does things. 
Some of you are doing that. And you say, what do you mean? What do you mean? So a couple days ago, uh, I met a guy over lunch. And, uh, and as we were talking, uh, he shared with me about the church that, that he attends uh, once in a while. And, and he told me what he likes about the church. And he said that, uh, that he liked that in, in all his time there, they've never passed the offering basket. And that they've, they've never talked about money. For him, that was a really good thing. In other words, he liked that they didn't ask anything of him. Didn't expect him to contribute in any way, just expected him to consume. Now, if you're not a Christian, that's fine, okay? But my goodness, if you're a Christian, you put on the name of Jesus Christ, you hop on board with God's mission, then you better expect to play a part. Better expect to play a part. And I'm not talking about money. That's just one manifestation of it. That's not really the main focus here. It's one manifestation of it. Because here's the deal. What's God's primary way of working in the world? What's God's primary way of working in the world? It's through the church. It's through his people. God's primary way of doing things in this world is through his people in their lives. And some of you, man, like, you've maybe been here a while. You maybe poke your head in and out, pick up some religious goods and services, but you don't care about the church. You don't care about the church. You're not invested. And, and, and I'm not just talking about acts. I'm talking about the church, the people of God everywhere. And so you don't contribute. You don't serve. You don't reach out to your friends. You just sit out. You just sit out. And I say that, and someone says, well, yeah, but Pastor Gabe, like, I was, I was really hurt by the church. I was really hurt by the church. Can I tell you something? Like, I get that. I do. I absolutely, I get that. I remember uh, when I was training to be a pastor, uh, they, they had us go to a seminar uh, called Power and Sex in the Pastoral Office. Way less exciting than it sounds. Um, but uh, but they, they had us go there, and, and at the beginning of the seminar, the professor who was leading it got up from all these guys who were studying to be pastors, and he said, how many of you have been a part of a church where power or sex was abused by leadership in the church. If that's you, if, if you've experienced that, please stand up. 50% of the people there stood up. Right? I was like, couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. And so I get it, man. Like, I'll read the news, okay? And I'm sorry. And for those of you that have had firsthand experience with that, I'm sorry, man. Sorry. And, and this is, we hope, a place for people to heal. And so, so if you feel me coming down on you right now and you're in a place of healing, don't hear that right now. We want you to heal. That's a good thing. But at some point, we got to get in the game. At some point, some of you got to get in the game. Because God says his plan A for the world is his church. I wouldn't have picked us, right? But it's not up to me. It's up to him. And he's chosen the church. And I get it, man. It's so easy to sit on the sideline of where God's working and just get really cynical. That's, that's what I did almost my entire college experience. Like, I was on my way to be a pastor, and for four years, in the process of that, didn't go to church. Well, they don't get it. They don't know how to do it. Hear this. There is a world of difference between a pundit and a prophet. There's a world of difference between a pundit and a prophet. See, a, a pundit sits on the outside and says, hey, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, but I'm not like those people over there. I don't like how they do things. 
Hey, hey, I'm a Christian, but, but I, I, I don't like those folks over there. And, and, and listen, I'm not going to get involved until everything's lined up just the way I want it, and I feel just perfectly content in where I'm at. It's a pundit, man. Listen, I like, I'm not riled very easily, okay? Really not. But if you're like bored one day and you're like, how can I tick Pastor Gabe off? This is how you can do it, okay? Uh, be overly critical about something and have no skin in the game. Be really critical of something and not lift a finger to change it. If you do that, like, I'm not a violent man. I'm just telling you, I can't promise what's going to happen, okay? That's all I'm saying. I'll just see red, okay? So listen, there, there is a world of difference between a pundit and a prophet. See, a prophet has skin in the game. A prophet knows things aren't perfect, knows things aren't ideal, and is actively working to change things because he or she is committed to the mission of God, is committed to what God is doing in this world. Like, Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. That's what he says to his followers. You're the salt of the whole earth. It's a big job. He says you're the light of the world. The whole world. Like, that's his plan A. There's not a plan B. And so we got to hop in. we got to hop in. Don't let cynicism keep you out of what God is doing through his people. And so we see cynicism exposed in Jonah's arguments against God, but we also see comfort exposed. Look with me at verses 6 to 8. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. All right, so Jonah, sitting in the desert, right, protest over God's mission. And so God, in his mercy, though, despite Jonah's disobedience and attitude, sends a plant to, to offer some shade for Jonah. Jonah loves the plant. Then God takes the plant away. Jonah's upset with how God's doing things, and again, he wants to die. He's pretty dramatic, right? We've noticed this. So there's a values disconnect here. There's a value disconnect here. See, Jonah loves comfort more than people. God loves people more than comfort. Okay, hear that again, church. Jonah loves comfort more than people. God loves people more than comfort. So I just want you to hear this. There's, there's nothing in this world. There is nothing in this universe that God loves more than people. Nothing. This is number one. He loves all his creation, loves people, number one. And especially, God loves messy people. God loves broken people. That's like, that's like his specialty. Like, like when Jesus walked the earth, what did people say of him? I said, there's Jesus. He's the friend of sinners. He's the friend of sinners. And guess what? Loving messy people is profoundly uncomfortable. You can't both be comfortable and loving messy people. That doesn't happen. 
And so I so wish I could be up here and tell you that what God really wants for you is to be comfortable. That what God really wants for you is to pursue your version of the American dream and just sprinkle them in here now and then. We'd be a lot bigger, all right? I could sell a lot of books. But God loves people too much to let you stay comfortable. And I trust that he's using you in your personal life to do that. Now, there's too many people in this world that are far from him for you to sit tight. There's too much brokenness in this world for him not to use you to bring healing. And I pray he's using you in your lives to do that. But I just want to share with you a little bit of what I'm hoping God is going to do through us as, as a congregation in the months to come. It's real brief. Uh, so this, this past week, uh, I sent out a, a, a five-page document uh, to some of our leaders uh, in which I outlined plans for, for strengthening and starting some new ministries here uh, in the next six months. And guess what? I've got many of your names all over that document. You're welcome. Um, and, and so let me just share with you some of what I think, guys, is just a, a glimpse into some of that. One of the things is, as Tanner's been up here and talking about community groups, like our goal is that by December 2016, that a third of our worshiping community uh, is involved in community groups. And so if you're not a part of that, I want to encourage you, be a part of that. We want that to be central to who we are. Another thing we're starting up is uh, one of the wonderful things I love about this church is that, that God has brought some folks to our church who are like following Jesus like hardcore. And I'm like, I hope one day I can grow up and follow Jesus like you do, right? Like they're, they're here. And then we got some of you that are like, you're just figuring this out, man. It's just like, well, Jesus, I guess I do this now. And like, you're just learning. That's awesome. We love that. We love that we have that spectrum. What we want to do is say, what would it look like for these people to walk together? For this person who's been following Jesus forever to invest in the life of this person. And so we're setting up a spiritual mentoring program. And I hope some of you that maybe have been following Jesus for a while would be interested in being a part of that. And some of you that are figuring this out, that you take the risk, be vulnerable, and be a part of that. Another thing we're doing is we're going to start a, a Spanish Bible study here. Uh, that I don't know if you've noticed where we're located, right? But it would be an absolute shame if we didn't reach out to our Hispanic brothers and sisters. It would just be a disgrace if we were here and we're like, well, we're just going to hole up as the white people church. That would be awful. It would, it would, right? So we're, we're going to do, I, and I'm not, I don't hablas espanol very well, but we're going we're gonna to do what we can to, to get it up and running. Uh, we're going to start hosting uh, philosophical talks at pubs to get in conversation, spiritual conversation with our friends who are skeptical. Uh, so if you're interested in being a part of that, I want to invite you to it. There's beer. Three cheers, right? Okay, it's a good thing. Uh, and and there's, there's so much more that we're doing, and I'm, and I'm so excited about it. But I promise you, none of that will happen if we're not willing to get uncomfortable. I promise you, it will not happen if we're not willing to get uncomfortable. It will not happen if we're more in love with our comfort than we are with people. Now, I say all that, and some of you say, man, Gabe, that just seems like a lot. Okay, we, we, we going to actually do all that? Yes. And here's why. We'll bring us home here. God's heart wins. God's heart wins, always. Look at verse 11. God's speaking to Jonah, and he says this, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? 
I love this verse, right? Like, it is the last verse in the book of Jonah. It just ends, right? 120,000 people and much cattle. The end. Like, what? What is that about? It's crazy. Uh, so, so, so what is that about? What's the deal with the cattle? Right? Like, why is that in there? Well, there's actually two schools of thought out there amongst uh, Hebrew scholars, okay? And schools of thought are this. One is that cattle represents economy, right? In, in an agrarian culture uh, like the ancient Near East, uh, livestock equaled money. And so what God is saying is there's a lot of people in Nineveh that I love and there's social, social systems and structures that matter too. And I want those to operate properly too. The other school of thought in regards to cattle is that God loves all his creation, and he does. And so he's saying, listen, yeah, I'd destroy all these people, and i destroy these animals that I created. And that's not a great thing. And so which school of thought is it? Doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter because the point is this. They both point to the same truth. And the truth is that God's heart wins. They point to the truth that God's heart wins because God's heart is that one day all of creation will be under his shalom, will be in his peace, that God's enemies will be his friends, that broken and oppressive social systems and structures will be repaired, and that the lion will lay with the lamb and everything will be as it's supposed to be, that this world will be renewed and restored to God's idea of what it could be. And guess what? We know that day is coming. And we know, in fact, that it's actually already begun. It's already begun. See, when Jesus was here, he brought God's shalom. He brought God's peace. He brought God's way of doing things. He went around and he announced God's message of repentance and forgiveness. And his enemies killed him for it. Well, his friends cynically sat on the side and watched it happen. But the beautiful thing was this, is that while Jesus was on the cross, Jesus made his enemies his friends. That he died forgiving those who were nailing him to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus experienced incredible discomfort to bring his comfort-focused disciples like you and like me into a right relationship with God so that nothing would separate us from his love. But the best part is, three days later, Jesus rose and he launched the beginning of God's healing rule and reign. And he promised that he's going to come back to finish what he started and that everything's going to be the way it's supposed to be. St. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. See, friends, your hope and mine in Christ is that God's heart wins. That in the face of the chaos of Leviathan, whatever that looks like in your life, we know that a day is coming when God's peace will reign when his shalom will rest over us. And we have the opportunity to live into that today, to live into that hope, and to take part in the mission that he sent us on. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. 
Thank you that, that you speak to us in your word. God, I pray that, that we would hear from you. That we would see what it looks like for us to be on mission with you. That we wouldn't get cynical, that we wouldn't get comfortable, but that we'd see that you, you win. And we'd attach ourselves to your mission. Remove anything that gets in the way of that, Lord. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.